The rest of us this morning are going to be in 2 Timothy in the third chapter. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to the book of the Bible called 2 Timothy, and we'll be in chapter 3. And next week we'll be back in our study of Jesus and the gospel in Luke. But this morning we're going to look at things a little bit differently, talking about survival tactics. How do we survive Christianity? How do we survive life in the church? And uh, that'll be the focus for this morning. There's nothing quite like a survival story. I love survival stories. I want to I learn all about survival tactics and read books and find myself intrigued. I want to go to survival movies, the, the fictional, fanciful kind back in the day. Uh, Indiana Jones, he survives against all odds, fanciful, fictitious. But then there are the nonfiction kind. I might even like those more, the ones that seem so real, and, and maybe it's actually telling or retelling his, a, a historical account about how these people or how this person had everything going against them, and th- then just at the right time, everything falls into place, and they know what to do, and they're free at last, edge of your seats, exciting. I like to be able to identify. Sometimes the more you can identify, the better where you're kind of getting uncomfortable. Molly and I were just in a movie this last week and, and you know, getting kind of nervous and worried and grabbing each other's arm because you, see, you feel like you're there. Are they going to get out? Are they not going to get out? You know they're going to get out, but still, it's exciting. Survival stories, are there, there's nothing quite like them. But here's the thing. Very few of us actually want to be in the situation. I want to have myself firmly planted in the couch. You know, I want my favorite beverage and my favorite snacks and the remote, maybe three remotes. You know, I want to be in the basement of my house taking it all in surround sound and then, you know, just push pause, refill my beverage. You know, that's what I want. I want it to be a story. When it comes to your Christian life and my Christian life, things guaranteed are going to be rough. You need survival tactics. Sometimes people forget to tell us this. If you're a brand new Christian, people maybe have forgotten to tell you. And quote Jesus is saying, in this life you will have trouble. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, will be persecuted. You know, somebody kind of forgot that memo when they shared the four spiritual laws with me kind of thing. And, and you think, my life is perfect. My, everything is in perspective. And there's something about that that's true and right when it comes to, 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 to the big picture. You know, somebody shares the gospel with you and and it's good news and God is no longer against me. God is for me and it's by trusting in His Son and that's only because of His grace and and God has done this great work in my life and I've been reconciled to God and I have freedom and I've been delivered and I have the hope of eternal life and I don't have a problem in the world and neither do you. Relatively speaking. But there needs to be that, oh, and by the way... (laughs) Until Jesus returns, 
and brings the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 today, life is going to be hard. doesn't mean it's always bad. doesn't mean we don't have great seasons of great joy and happiness and excitement. It doesn't mean we can't have joy at the other times, but it's hard. You've seen the bumper sticker. It says, life sucks and then you die. Probably shouldn't say that in church, but I just did. Stinks, that's better. There's something true about it, because we live in a broken world, plagued with sin. It's not if you die, it's when you die. <sighs> that's why a book like Second Timothy is so helpful. It doesn't mislead us and, you know, kind of do the gloss over and say everything's going to be wonderful and fine and you won't suffer. It actually says, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And let me give you some tactics. Let me, let me instruct you in the things of God so that you can see it for what it is and you can persevere by the grace of God to the end. And so as a pastor, I love to preach texts like this now and then to remind whether you're a new Christian or an old Christian to bring perspective and reminder. Paul's writing to Timothy. Paul's an apostle. That means he has the, 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 the official designation from Jesus himself to speak on his behalf. He, he has that kind of authority. And then you have, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. So when I'm speaking this morning, no doubt this is a pastoral letter. I'm going to speak as if I'm talking to pastors sometimes because that would be how it first came. But Timothy's a pastor. He's pastoring a church at, the, uh, at Ephesus, that city. And what is he going to do? Paul's going to teach uh, the, word, the, the, the will of Christ to Timothy, who's the preacher, and he's going to teach the people. And so these things are relevant to all of us, sometimes on different levels and different ways. But this is stuff that Christians need to know. Stuff that Christians need to know. And so we'll look at this morning three spiritual tactics. Three spiritual survival tactics for life and ministry so that we can survive life in the church. So that we can survive life in the grand scheme of things. Number one, I'll preview them now for you. Uh, number one, know the problem. Know the problem. That's a good way to summarize verses one to four. Know the problem. Second survival tactic for us so we can survive life in the church life as a christian life as a pastor if you are one number two avoid the problematic avoid the problematic that's verses five to seven and number three finally remind or excuse me remember biblical history remember biblical history that's verses eight and nine Know the problem, avoid the problematic, remember biblical history. Just one more qualifier before we jump in. It's so interesting that this is Paul talking to Timothy so he can survive life as a pastor. So he can survive life in the church. Local church, broader church, by way of application. This is instruction for you by way of application so you can survive life in the church. Local church, broader church, because oftentimes that's where the greatest dangers are, unfortunately. Sobering. Ready? 
This is what I do when I'm ready and I'm excited or freezing. Maybe both this morning. Let's find ourselves equipped. Number one, first strategy, tactic, know the problem. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. But understand this or, or know this. The grammar reflects that you must know this. You need to know this. And the grammar even reflects in the Greek New Testament, you need to keep understanding this. Don't ever let this escape your mind, Timothy. Or if you're a pastor by application, if you're a Christian, understand and always understand this, that in the last days there will come times or literally seasons of difficulty. You're a Christian, things are great. You're a pastor, that's exciting. But you need to know, you must know, please don't ever, ever let it escape your notice that it's going to be seasons of difficulty. Seasons come and go. That's the image that's here. But do notice he says, this is going to happen in the last days. If you're new to the Bible, you're thinking, when are the last days? If you've been studying the Bible very long at all, oh, you're thinking, oh, last days. I know when last days is referring to. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 has us to know the last day started with Christ's coming and go until His returning. Okay? Last days, Hebrews 1, 2. The time we're living in is between the time of Christ's coming and His return. He's saying now. When Christ returns, it's not going to be the last days anymore. We're going to have new heaven and new earth and we're not going to need spiritual tactics like this. But in the meantime, you might belong to God as a child of God through the work of God the Son applied by the Spirit. But you've got to know, you must know that it's going to be hard and there are going to be hard seasons even, if not especially in life, in the church. It's going to be challenging. You've got to know this. It's absolutely essential that he know this. In chapter 2, it was kind of, it ended on a positive that some of these bad guys, these bad characters, might repent. They might believe. And, and just when we think things are getting optimistic and positive, chapter 3, verse 1 says, But, but understand this, last days. It's not if things get hard, it's when they get hard, if we're talking about seasons. This then brings the question, it surfaces the question. Okay, I got it. I got it that I'm supposed to pay attention. What's going to make the last days so bad for me as a pastor? What's going to make the, the last days so, so difficult for you if you're a Christian? And the answer we're going to see has to do with the people. It's kind of a crass, kind of funny, maybe you don't think it's so funny statement that pastors make to each other now and then. And it's ministry. Ministry would be easy. Ministry would be great if it weren't for the people that's what we say sometimes when we love learning and we're excited and we want everybody else to be excited and then people aren't excited or we want people to do the biblical thing to do the right thing so they don't ruin their life and other people's lives and they don't you're thinking man life and ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people now that's an inappropriate statement when you're speaking in an ultimate sense because if it weren't for people we wouldn't have growth, spiritual growth. We wouldn't have all the things we need in the life of the church. We wouldn't have uh, uh, encouragement. We wouldn't have all the one another's. But you see why the overstatement's made, right? 
What leads the, the, the last days to being so bad? It's going to be the people. Look at verse 2. For people. See? That, that crass statement isn't altogether out to lunch. It's going to be so bad for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3 says, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And that's where I wrote in my notes, so that's the problem. That's the problem. You know why life is hard for you and the church at large? It's because people are sinners and they act sinfully. Which would include you, but that's not the emphasis here. We've got to know the problem. People are going to be the problem. You know, welcome to Christianity. Now, in one level this morning, you're thinking, man, what, what a drag this is. Why did I come to Omaha Bible Church today? It's so good to know this problem so that we somehow don't think God told us we were going to have our best life now. If you think you're going to have your best life now, you're you're a train wreck waiting to happen. This is not the kingdom. This is not the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus hasn't returned. So know this, he says. Know this. These are the last days. The time between his first and second coming. Know this. It's going to be bad. It's going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's only bad, but it's going to be bad. I think we should tell people some of this stuff when we tell them the gospel. Wouldn't be the first time I've tried to talk people out of believing. Saying, wait a second, wait a second. They're like, you know, what do we do now? Can we just, you know, sign the deal? I'm like, hey, hold on a second. I've got more Bible verses for you. Might count the cost. But anyway, this is good for us today. This is why my pastoral heart gets burdened about these things. I want you to know this so you don't have to freak out and think something's terribly wrong. It's not news to God that this is going to be this way. This is how it's going to be. That's why it causes causes believers like you and like me, and it's been this way now ever since there have been believers, to say things like, How long, O Lord? What are we looking for? We're looking for His return. But we don't have this anymore. But what we need in the meantime is a strategy. It starts with knowing and never forgetting. And that's what we're seeing here. Now, the list in verses 2 to 5, I'm going to take as primarily referring to, well, first of all, I want you to notice 2 to 5, he's talking about life in the church. He's not talking about avoiding, um, he's not talking about unbelievers, I don't think. And some, and I'm of this persuasion, others have persuaded me, other New Testament scholars, I wouldn't die for this, I wouldn't stake my salvation on it. I think he's primarily referring to leaders within the the broader, outside of the local church, um, within the broader scheme of things. And and I find that to be um, somewhat persuasive. And so I'm going to 
treat it that way. It could be true even if it's not that way. It, this, these are truisms that sinners act like sinners, and that's what's going to make your life hard. Timothy, the pastor here, seems to be that the reason it's going to be so hard is because people who are supposed to know better and be Christian leaders are adults acting badly in the name of Christ. And it's messing with people in the church, making this pastor Timothy's job all the more difficult. Um, some reasons behind that, and we don't want to get too, too hung up on this. Um, there's a form of godliness that's affirmed in verse 5. Um, these folks are to be avoided in verse 5, and that's not how Paul talks about unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul's telling the Corinthians, you need to be with unbelievers. And here he's going to say, avoid these people. These are professing Christians. They assume a leadership role. They enter into households. They captivate people with bad doctrine. Verse 6. That's, that's professing Christian. That's even a leadership kind of position. And it seems from what we learned in chapter 2 that it would fit that same context. So I'm going to take it that way. You may not. And we can still agree in general principle. But I think these are the, the influential leaders uh, that are influencing Christians for bad that makes Timothy, the pastor's life, so hard and others in leadership positions. With that said, let's look at these a little closer. Let's relook at the list, and we won't take a lot of time, but let's at least look at the, uh, the list point by point. So we've got to know the problem. The problem are the people, but notice how he describes the people. He says in verse 2, um, they are lovers of self. It seems that, that that's the overarching problem. There's all these other problems, but the root cause of the problem is they love themselves. Evidenced in the fact they named the ministry after them. They're all about the glory. They're all about the fame. It has everything to do with them. I'm not exactly sure, but characteristic of these guys that, that, that ravage the church and ravage Christians and make their life miserable and make your life miserable if you're under them, but it make your life miserable if you're trying to help other Christians is they love themselves, which is uncharacteristic of a Christian. Their first and foremost priority is themselves. Celebrity status at all costs. And then flowing out of that, they love money, verse 2 says. Nothing wrong with money in the Bible, but love of money is a problem, especially when it comes to leaders. Paul talked about those in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, who peddle the Word of God. They're Bible teachers, but they're Bible teachers because it's a good way to make a good income, make a good living. He's saying, you know the problem? Know the problem. The problem are these lovers of self, and they love money. They love money. They're also proud. Well, that would fit lovers of self. We're supposed to boast in the Lord, 1 Corinthians one thirty-one, but they boast in themselves. They're proud. They have things that other people don't have. It also says, if you look there, they're arrogant. They're proud. They're arrogant. This makes them probably, the, fit, the flow goes, this makes them abusive. Think about that. Think about Bible teachers, professing Bible teachers that make my life difficult because they influence some of you or other people. Think about Bible teachers that make your life difficult because they've misled you or as you're trying to reach a friend with the truth, they're under some influence of some kind of Bible teacher and they're making their life difficult and they're making your life difficult because you're trying to, trying to help them understand the gospel and it's like they, the lights are on but nobody's home. Well, Paul's calling them out and saying they're arrogant. They're proud. And typically, 
these words are associated with is because they believe and teach something that God hasn't said. And think about that with me, how that's arrogant and proud. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the eternal God. But this Bible teacher is saying something different. Talk about arrogance. Talk about pride. And then to ratchet it up and make it even worse, maybe the way they prove it is, God told me. Well, that's, that, that's the ultimate in arrogance if God hasn't done it because you're claiming to have what no one else has because you've got a direct line to God. We, the rest of us, just have our Bibles and the Holy Spirit. These teachers will make your life hard if you're a Sunday school teacher. They will make your life hard if you're a Christian because Christians have care for other people. They'll make your life hard if you're a pastor because you're trying to help people understand the reality of Christ and His eternality. Talk about pride and arrogance. Know the problem. This makes them abusive. They can manipulate people like nobody else can manipulate people because of their proud arrogance. Then it says, disobedient to their parents. And that's the one thing on the list that makes you think this this is not talking about leaders. It's talking about children. It's talking about anybody. And that really could be. That's why I want to be so careful and not die on the hill saying they're leaders. But some would suggest, some New Testament scholars would suggest, it still could be on the list. Because sometimes such statements are not necessarily talking about little children. Like Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 talks about adults not taking care of their own, not taking care of their own parents in the name of God. They're not going to do the biblical thing, which would be to respect and take care of their parents in the name of God because the false teachers are trying to get their money. Could be that. Could be that. But regardless, these people that make your life so hard refuse to do things that even unbelievers basically know are to be true. When believers act worse than unbelievers, they don't take care of their own. But in the name of God, they'll find a way around it. They're ungrateful. You could translate that ungracious. They deserve things. They have rights to things. This is the one that scares me. I I don't want to get us too off track, but I'm going to do it right now for a second or two or three. Ungrateful. One of the reasons among many I like to spend time with brand new Christians is they're some of the most grateful people on earth. People who are really thinking about the gospel and how it's just affected their life. They're grateful people. They're thankful people. Sometimes as time goes on and more water is under the bridge and you serve and you serve and you show commitment and faithfulness, you sometimes, sometimes, I sometimes think that I have rights and earned privileges because I've been teaching the Bible now for 20 years. How dare you treat me like that? I mean, you get the idea. When I think like that, I start thinking like a false teacher. I start thinking like problematic people. I love new Christians because, like all Christians should be, 
the gratefulness is fresh. To realize I was under the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and, and I deserve it because I indeed have not loved God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I not only sin in what I do, I sin in what I don't do. I sin in my mind. I am so busted, it's not even funny. God has accepted me in Christ Jesus because of His perfect life which then led Him to the cross and His substitutionary death that, that, that satisfied the justice of God, satisfied the wrath of God and that He did that willingly because He loved me and He gave Himself up for me and that He rose again from the dead for me so that I can be guaranteed new life in Him when He comes back and you're going, yes! Grace! Deserve? I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful I don't get what I deserve. Boastful, proud, arrogant, self-love. I deserve better. How dare you? Those kind of people make our life tough. How about they make our life tough because the influence they have on others? But now let's be honest. They make our life tough because the influence they have on us. Because sometimes we learn from them. Martin Luther said that more than the Pope of Rome, you know who he feared? The great Pope self. It's actually him. It's him. I want to be grateful. Not like these folks who make life so miserable. Unholy or ungodly, probably describing their conduct. They, they, they say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christians. And, and when they do that, they model that for other people. When you hear Christian leaders speak badly, speak foully, act foully, act badly, it shows you that it's okay to do that. And that makes my life harder, because I'm here to say you shouldn't do that. Because we're called to live holy lives. We're called to live like we've been bought by the Lamb of God. And we're called to live like we have the Spirit of God in us, which brings self-control. And doesn't mean we're perfect, but we have a perfect Savior and His perfect Spirit, and we're, we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. And I get so frustrated when somebody doesn't compliment with that with their life or with their teaching. It makes it hard, but that's why I have this letter to help me. That's why you have this letter to help you, when you're trying to teach your children, this is how Christians talk. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, as Ephesians says. And they're like, well, it's okay over here because so-and-so says so-and-so, and I read so-and-so, and he's a cool pastor. And like, Man, Lord, the life and ministry is hard. I didn't sign up for this. Know that in the last days, difficult seasons will come. And that helps us. This helps us. Heartless, it says in verse 3, that are without natural affection. Makes me think of 1 John where Christians are supposed to supernaturally love other Christians. These guys don't. They're unappeasable, it says in verse 3. They can't be reconciled. They can't be satisfied. You know what people like that are like. Sometimes because we are those kind of people. But you know what it's like. There's a problem and you say, here's the solution. Here's the biblical solution. Now here's a practical way to solve the problem. And no matter what you do, it's never good enough. 
You know? Okay, here's the problem. Here's the offense. Here's the sin. Here's the solution. Here's what the Bible says. Okay, we've got the problem solved, right? And sometimes they say, that's right. And there's repentance. And there's transformation. And sometimes they say, right. And then they walk out the door and it's even worse than before. Or sometimes they just say no. Life in the church is hard because people are lovers of self. And here says they're irreconcilable. I'm so glad this is in the Bible. Here's how it was for me when I was a Christian. I first, first became a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm not a fake Christian. I'm not some kind of pretend Christian. Done that, tried that. This is the real deal. And I'm so glad now I can go to a church that, that has other real Christians. It's not like the folklore, tradition, parents did it, so I did it. I'm going to where they really preach the gospel and they're real Christians. False conclusion, where everyone will do the right thing. I was under the false conclusion that I would always do the right thing. Hello. <laughs> you know, you're like, no. But it's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. To the point where I, I frequently think, why in the world am I a pastor? If I would have known, sometimes I would rather do anything. This is so helpful because the eternal God tells us long before we showed up, long before we were converted, long before we breathed the breath, here's how it's going to be. How can that be encouraging to you? That can be an encouragement to you and encouraging to you because you know that in a certain sense, you have to hear me out on this, this is how it's supposed to be. Now, not exactly, because it's not supposed to be this way, because it's sin. But until the new heaven and the new earth, a broken world is going to act brokenly. And there's still going to be a struggle even for Christians. This is, this is helpful for us today. Know that this is how it's going to be. So you don't cash it all in and check out and say, something is happening that God had no plan for, and He didn't give me any strategy for coping with. They're without self-control. That means they can't say no to things. The Holy Spirit brings self-control. They act like they don't have the Spirit. Perhaps it's because they don't. They're brutal. Some have translated it savage or untamed. They're like animals. You'd think that Christians would be able to do the right thing because they have the Spirit. But look what these guys do. Not loving good. Treacherous, verse 4 says. That same word is used for Judas. It's a traitor word. They're not loyal. It seems like he's moving into the area of, of theology and belief. That they, they've, they've rejected. They've, they, they, they've been traitors to orthodoxy. They deny the truth. Verse 4 says reckless. That would fit with without self-control. That would fit with brutal. They live recklessly. They believe recklessly. They teach recklessly. God tells me this, God tells me that, and so I tell you whatever I want to say in the name of God. I listened to a lady say this morning, a well-known uh, teacher, I won't say Bible teacher, a well-known professing Christian teacher who said that Jesus, when he was on the cross, stopped being the Son of God. That's as reckless as it is blasphemous, because that would mean he's not the eternal Son. 
It's the same kind of teacher who would say, God told me this, God told me that, and then with brazen boldness would say something so reckless as to say that. I also heard her say today, cued it up because I wanted to have it fresh in my mind just to get my dander up and yours. I also heard her say that I am not a sinner. That's reckless. More reckless, she said, I am not a sinner because the Bible says I am righteous. And it's impossible to be a sinner and righteous at the same time. Shout amen, somebody, she probably said. Now that's kind of, I laughed, sadly. I laughed because that's like a basic Bible doctrine. That's like Bible 101. And if you know the first thing about Christian history, you know that that was a major, major issue at the Reformation. That, that Luther is saying, you know what? Simultaneously, I am righteous and a sinner at the same time. That's like, if you, you know, passed a Wana Cubbies, you might have learned somewhere. I mean, I'm making fun now, but it's reckless. It's so reckless. Romans chapter 4 says that God justifies, declares righteous, righteous the ungodly. Huh. And you say, now... You're starting to kind of sound upset today, Pastor. Now listen, I purposely didn't dress like a fundamentalist today, okay? I'm happy. Marriage is good, okay? (laughs) Things are good at home. (laughs) Happy to be a pastor, but really burdened for you and for me and for my family and for people I know and love. Because we're to know this, that in the last times, that's now, people are going to be like this, and it's going to mess with you, and it's going to mess with me. And that's not a downer, ultimately, even though it's a downer, because when we have a tactic for dealing with it, part of the tactic is knowing that it's a problem, I'm motivated. I'm motivated. Swollen with conceit, verse 4 says. Puffed up, vain, prideful. Isn't it interesting how some of these words fit together, no doubt? They all fit together. But if you're reckless, if you're treacherous, if you're a, a truth orthodoxy denier, you're going to be reckless with what you teach, which is a reflection that you are swollen with conceit. It's kind of a gross image, don't you think? You're just swelling with pride. I know that's what Christians have been saying now for for hundreds of years. Believers have been saying for thousands of years. But I'm so swollen. I'm so fat with conceit and so ugly with conceit. I'm going to say, God told me something else. You're thinking, now this is why it's so hard for me to communicate the truth to my neighbor who's listening to this person. This is why I wish they wouldn't sell her books at Costco. This is why I almost wish there was no outlet for this sort of thing. Man, this explains a lot. God knew it was going to be this way. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I love the way he puts that because he doesn't say the problem is pleasure. It's lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
Pleasure is great, provided you give God glory for it, and it's a way that fits with His holy revelation. But here's the either-or. Verse 5 says, Having the appearance of godliness, so they talk about Jesus, they quote the Bible, they're not dumb, but denying its power. Their life is a, a, is a betrayal of their profession. They deny its power. Oh, man. Listen to this. From the theologically abhorrent to the sexually deviant to the financially scandalous to the mean-spirited fundamentalist to whoever else, they destructively dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore make any sort of faithful ministry extra difficult. And that's what I think is the case. It's hard for me to be a pastor because you might think I'm one of those guys. It's hard for me to be a pastor because you might have their books on your shelf. It's hard for me to be a pastor because someone who is not a Christian watches this stuff on TV. Stuff is a nice word. Watches this stuff on TV and somehow confuses with what I'm trying to say to them about the gospel with what they saw on television. It's difficult for you as a Christian because you're burdened for your friend who's an unbeliever and they're hearing you say the same thing as the guy says on television. Or your kids are into it or whatever it might be. This is difficult. I love it that it says, know this. Know this. I hate to borrow from the world of psychobabble, but it's a coping mechanism, okay? It helps you to get through to the end when Christ returns. Know this. Don't be overly discouraged in your discouragement. Know this. This is how things work in a broken, messed up world. Even people who name the name of Jesus don't always tell the truth about Him. Know this. Because God knows this. For him to tell you, know this, in this letter, he himself would have to know this. He's still in charge. He's still on his throne. It's going to work out. Don't walk off the track. Don't drop the baton. And that makes it encouraging, even though it's discouraging. But so many times, I just wish I could sit on my couch and turn it off. But we can't. And so we persevere and we press on. And one amazing thing in Second Timothy is, and we're not seeing the big picture this morning is, if you read from beginning to end, he talks about gospel, 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 gospel. This is one of the, the, the least gospel-emphasized sections. But around it is permeated, emphasized gospel realities. That's what gives us our hope, and that's what motivates us, and that's what keeps us going, and maybe we'll talk more about that in a little while. Second, strategic survival tactic for life and ministry. Avoid the problematic. Avoid the problematic. You can just jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's enough to tell, help you to know he doesn't mean unbelievers. He's not saying, now only spend time with Christians, because Christians have it all figured out. He's not going there. We're actually supposed to spend time with non-Christians, because they're enslaved to these things. 
But now notice what it says in verse 5. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. In the original language, it's, it's a command as it is here in English. One thing we don't see, perhaps, is it's in the present tense. And so it's avoid such people and keep avoiding such people. We can maybe translate it a different way. Stay away from these people. Maybe bringing out the present tense emphasis a little bit more. Avoid these people. Keep away from these people. Stay away from them. Disassociate yourself with them. Even if they talk about Jesus. And one reason he gives is in verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households. Physically or otherwise. Television, books, mailings, radio, podcasts. Who knows? And capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, various lusts. Sometimes it's translated. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That last little statement tells us, tells us that these, these women are, are not ignorant. It's not that they're inherently weak. They're not ignorant. In fact, they're always learning. They just never come to sort it out, never come to a knowledge of the truth. It's a pretty peculiar statement. But notice they're not led by the Spirit because they're led by various impulses. Do notice also they're burdened with sins. I mean, whatever else we could surmise or guess about them, we know that there's not someone in their life who's faithful to the gospel. We know that there's not someone in their life that can help them not have the burden of sin. Sure, they might hear Jesus talk. They might hear Bible verses. They might hear lots of moralism. But there's no one in their life. They they don't have a good pastor. They don't have a, a faithful husband or a faithful friend. There's not somebody in their life to help them with the burden they wear on their backs. They need gospel realities. They keep learning more, going to maybe more Bible studies, keep learning more things because it's the best-selling Christian book and all this stuff. And they're always learning. Oh, they learn a lot. But they've never learned how you get rid of your sin burden. They've never learned the gospel. But our context would be they're learning quote-unquote principles. They need a gospel friend. But these false teachers prey on them. They see that there's maybe money to be made or fame to be had and they can go to them because they're not discerning and they can just amass more for themselves. Avoid these kinds of people. Don't be like these kinds of people. Don't be the kind of person who preys on the weak Timothy or all Timothys who would come after Timothy. By extension, any Christian. These guys are the last people you want to be associated with. You know, outside of the spiritual realm, outside of the church, we have laws in our country, at least that try, even though they fail, that try to protect the weak. A false teacher, man, fangs are out. The weak, they're the ones you want to go after. If you're wondering where the deadbeat husband is, I am too. I'm not really sure. I mean, that's irrelevant that you're you're going, things haven't changed. I mean, there's no one in this person's life to help her understand the gospel and be free. So what does the Bible teacher, pseudo-Bible teacher, come and do? Just reels her in. Maybe with Bible verses. Out of context. Spiritual teachings. Principles to live by. Another follower. Maybe a better jet. 
more influence, more followers. And he says, Timothy, don't even get in the same zip code as those kind of people. By way of application, please, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, in your ministry that God has given you, please don't act like false teachers and pray upon the weak. Please be honest with people. Please be forthright with people. Don't take advantage of their weaknesses. Help them to get rid of that burden they wear on their back with the gospel. But be cautious. Not too long ago, a very dear individual came here, wanted Bible teaching, wanted to learn things. I was excited about that. I tried to be so careful. Not that I'm the hero of the story because I'm a sinner. But by God's grace, thinking about this kind of passage, I was super careful. And I had a great opportunity to be like false teachers because there was a weakness there and I could have just used the weakness. So kindly, so innocently, this person said, well, I have friends that are concerned that, I, that I'm leaving my church and I'm coming here. I'm leaving my, my long heritage, heritage denomination I've uh, gone to this church my whole life, and they're concerned. You know what I was thinking? I was relating with their friends. It's normal. And now I'm coming here, and they are not really sure what, what I'm going to be taught, and they think I might be joining some kind of cult or something. And I said, you know what? I think that's a good concern your friends have. And don't get me wrong. I, didn't, I, I cared, but I don't want to be like these guys. This person said, well, I told my friends. Of course they're going to teach the right thing and teach the Bible because when you walk, just look at the sign when you walk in the door, it says Omaha Bible Church. And I kind of like that. <laughs> but I also had to say to this person, you know, if I were a false teacher, I think that's what I would name my church. I just had to say, you know, I'm so glad you're here. Please um, read these things in the Bible. Examine these things in the Scripture. You know, be discerning. Be careful. Be cautious. Would love to meet with you and your spouse to talk about these things. I may lose a sale at the end of the day. But I haven't been called to be a huckster. And neither have you. And we have a little huckster in all of us. Be cautious, be careful. Timothy, he says, avoid them. No doubt relationships, but don't even try to be like them. You've got something far different. You're holding forth the word of life, the gospels which you're doing. Avoid the problematic. The foolishly naive. Number three, remember biblical history. We'll get things wrapped up here with this one quickly. Remember biblical history. I think it would be helpful to remember history uh, altogether, but remember biblical history. He wants to encourage Timothy to be this kind of guy. He wants to encourage me by application, even if I live in a postmodern kind of world that uh, doesn't want me to say anybody's wrong. He's going to name some names here. Verse 8 says, Just as Janus and Jambres, those are those unnamed at the time magicians in the Old Testament, Exodus 7, 
Exodus 8, Exodus 9, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. One commentator says this, according to Jewish tradition, pretended they pretended to become Jewish converts, proselytes, and instigated the worship of the golden calf and were killed like the rest of the idolaters. No. What's he saying? He's saying, Timothy, this isn't anything new. This has been happening since Exodus. Professing Christians, let me just call them out by name, misleading the people of God, and it ends badly. And so know that this isn't anything new. didn't catch God off guard. And, 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 and know that we're talking about real people. I mean, we're just not talking about philosophical constructs and ideas that are bad. He says, Janus and Jambres. And while those names might sound weird to us, back then, who knows? They, they weren't weird. They were ordinary names. Maybe they were cool names. Because they have a new way because they're not actually of Jewish ancestry. And maybe they can really bring something to the table to enhance our worship. Maybe they would say, denying the orthodox doctrine as we see here, God told us. The reason you're having all of these problems and difficulties is because you're just worshiping God the way He said to be worshipped in that book. We have a word from God. Let us help you how you can worship that God you talk about who's that one God a different and better way. Just as Janice and Jambri said, oh, this is really helpful for me as a pastor. I hope it's really helpful for you as a Christian. And again, I realize I'm, I'm stepping on toes when, when, when I say this false teacher said such and such. See, notice even there, I'm being PC. I don't even want to say the name. There's something not right about that. One reason why it's so hard to be a pastor and one reason why it's so hard to be a Christian trying to do effective ministry is because of the Joyce Myers of the world who deny the eternality of the Son of God who deny that she is a sinner because she is reckless and naive and a false teacher. T.D. Jakes denies the historic doctrine of the Trinity. He's not a Christian. Just as Janus and Jambres, don't, don't be so foolish as to think otherwise. Mean-spirited? How about loving, compassionate shepherd who says, that thing over there in white fluffy stuff that walks like a wolf, smells like a wolf, and sounds like a wolf is a wolf. Don't go over there. Sobering, I know. Why would I preach a sermon like this? It's because I know you have some of their books on your bookshelf. Some of you do. It's because I know you have friends who have their books. And you're saying, why can't I get through to them? Why can't I explain the perfect work of Christ on the cross 
when the Father judged the Son on my behalf, why can't I get that through to them? Well, you can't get it through to them if they're listening to Joyce Meyer, who says that he went to hell and suffered at the hands of the devil. It's no wonder why the atonement doesn't make sense. And you keep pounding your head against the wall. And I'm saying, know this. In the last times, difficult times will come. Seasons will come. It doesn't mean give up on your friend. But you've got to know that false teachers are preying on your friend, just as Janice and Jambres had a better way. Don't quit. Don't resign. Don't retire and say, you know what, I've had it being a Christian with other people, trying to reach them. I'm just going to move somewhere and be a Christian by myself. Don't, don't do it. God knows. Keep doing it. Keep doing your ministry, trying to effectively reach them and help them. How about this? Because it's not going to end until we're not in the last days anymore. I almost hate to say that. (laughs) Your challenges trying to get through to your sister, sister sister-in-law, brother, brother brother-in-law, mom, dad, grandparents, friends, co-workers, children, you name it. The frustration is not going to end until we're not in the last days anymore. And that's not going to come until Christ returns. And I offer that to you as hope. But in the meantime, this is hopeful. Stay on target. Stay on task. Chapter 2 did talk about some of these folks that God may may grant them repentance. All right, I'm going to do another day, Lord. I'm going to do another day. And then he says, in verse 8, so these men... The ones he's been speaking about in chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, I think. The ungodly teachers posing as godly also, just like Janice and Jambres, oppose the truth. Isn't that interesting? It's even with that article there, the truth. Oftentimes used in the Bible as, as referring to, to you know, the body of Christian teaching, the body of Christian doctrine, the truth about Jesus. Not one truth, the settled truth about Jesus. They deny that. Then he goes on to say, men corrupted in mind. Isn't that interesting? They're claiming to have some higher enlightenment, claiming to have something you don't have, which is why they're so intimidating. Men corrupted in mind, he says, and disqualified regarding the faith. Just like we have the truth in verse 8, paralleling that is the truth. Faith, as Jude says, the once and for all delivered to the saints faith. That kind of faith, the faith, the package, Christianity. False teachers deny the faith, just like Janice and Jambres denied the faith. And what does that do? It says at the end there, it disqualifies them. Or they've been disqualified because they reject the truth. Counterfeit is the idea. They're masquerading. I know this is discouraging, but it's actually here to encourage Timothy. Timothy is tremendously discouraged. Paul wants to encourage him. How can you encourage someone who's discouraged by telling them more bad news? You do it in the context of this is how it's going to be in the last days. No surprise to God. Verse 9 says, and finally, but they will not get very far 
That's one of those verses I, would ask, I want to ask God about when I get to heaven. It seems like they get really far. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, what, it seems like they get so far so many times, but ultimately we know this is true. But they will not get very far. For their folly, their foolishness, their ignorance, their hucksterism, whatever you'd like, will be plain to all. So one day it will be exposed. Once, one day everyone will know, as was that of those two men. Think with me, if you would, just briefly about verse 9 and how that would encourage Timothy. Think how it would encourage a pastor today. Think how it could encourage you. In the end, everyone will know. And whoever opposed Janus and Jambres and took it on the chin as being a fool, not being open-minded, not being open to the new movement of the Spirit of God or whatever it might have been said back in the day. One day everyone knew what was right. And we know what's right. If you're looking for a good little encouragement, refreshment, Read 2 Timothy as a whole and look for how much gospel is there. Look for how many times the gospel is emphasized. The reason this is such an important issue is because you have the good news of Jesus Christ, that He came and perfectly obeyed the law of God, that He came and perfectly atoned for law-breaking, even though He wasn't a lawbreaker. He came and perfectly was raised again from the dead so that everyone who hopes in Him, trusts in Him, believes in Him, will be reconciled to God. It's this great good news, but it is referred to as the faith. The truth. It's so refreshing. That's why any tampering or meddling or compromising of it is such a serious matter because it's where our hope is. It's where our hope is. So be refreshed in the hope that comes from Christ. The hope that you know you have if you're a Christian and then be motivated to communicate that hope with other people because they don't have it if they have the counterfeit Janus and Jambres pseudo-gospel. And so love them enough to be like Paul to Timothy, Timothy to congregation, congregation to neighbors, to speak the truth and to speak it in love. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for a, a sort of a hard-hitting passage, even like 2 Timothy 3, because it does motivate us. It motivates us to want to know what the gospel is and it motivates us to want to live godly lives in light of the gospel and because of the gospel, to not, to not be mistaken as some sort of hucksters and some sort of money makers in the name of God, manipulating and taking advantage of weak people. Help us. Help us to be faithful because on our own we're not. And help us to be humble, to not say somehow we can't know and be prideful, but to be humble enough to say where God has spoken, we believe and we proclaim. We have so many people that we know and we love and who are misguided and misdirected and deceived. Give us opportunity to speak lovingly, charitably, biblically to them knowing that one day the truth will come out as you've told us even here this morning in jesus name amen